Autumn presents Jesus and Marrow Beyond the Bronx, written by Devin Gordon. Jesus and Marrow are sitting and talking and making each other laugh. This is what they do, for hours on end, for growing audiences and rapidly increasing sums of money. The rooms change, the chairs change, but the basic idea remains. They sit, they talk, they laugh. They also drink. Jesus takes slugs from a beer that's been labeled D&M, while Marrow keeps a bottle of rum between his feet. This Thursday morning, Jesus, a.k.a. Jesus Nice, a.k.a. Daniel Baker, and Marrow, a.k.a. The Kid Marrow, a.k.a. Joel Martinez, are taping their new weekly Showtime series at a Manhattan TV studio that has been designed to look like a TV studio dropped onto a street corner in the Bronx, which is where they are from. The walls are graffitied. There's a subway etiquette poster, like the real ones New Yorkers see every day, only this one urges passengers not to blast music unless that shit slaps. Guests enter through a fake bodega storefront. Right now, Jesus and Marrow are not just making each other laugh, but also waiting. The camera crew needs a few more minutes, so they kill time by serving as their own warm-up act for the studio audience. From a table just off camera, Julia Young, one of their producers, lobs topics that are in the news. The college admissions bribery scandal, the 2020 presidential campaign, Jesse Smollett, the supposed Jexodus. And then watches, with a mixture of delight and dread, to see what will follow. A year ago, Jesus and Mero were doing a version of this show four nights a week on Viceland, where they were limited to five fucks an episode. But Showtime is premium cable, with no advertisers to worry about. They've already aired a gleefully scatological ode to a very specific sex act accompanied on piano by John Legend. Jesus asks for a recap of who's running for president so far, and Young starts rattling off names pausing after each one to give the guys time to riff. Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, who is an actual real-life Jesus and Marrow fan, and as it happens, next week's guest. Oh, and Beto O'Rourke. Jesus looks puzzled. What is Beto running for? Young's eyes convulse in their sockets. President. Now it's Jesus' turn to have a small stroke. Of America? Outside the studio, O'Rourke might be the darling of progressive elites, but in here, he's just another white guy tap dancing for votes. Jesus circles back to Sanders and asks whether he's older than Trump. By like 18 decades, Marrow cracks. Young does a quick Google search. He's 77. Wow, Jesus says, his eyes wide. When do people die nowadays? Damn. Marrow starts giggling and rocking back and forth. His laugh sounds like a jug of water tipping over, and when Jesus is next to him, it rarely stops. Jesus, meanwhile, just grins like a villain. All of this back and forth gives the audience ample time to consider Jesus' sneakers. For about 30% of viewers, his footwear is the episode's biggest reveal. The identity of the guest 
today Ben Stiller, is a distant second. Deezus feels a particular responsibility to delight deep-cut fans, the ones who have followed him and Marrow from their first podcast for Complex, the street-style magazine and sneaker bible, through their stint on MTV2, through Viceland, all the way here. You've got to give the people what they want. You've got to give them what Deezus and Marrow's longtime manager, Victor Lopez, calls a statement piece. Today, Deezus is rocking a pair of sky-blue Nike by Tom Sachs Mars Yard overshoes, a very limited release that retailed for about $500, if you knew they existed in time to buy them at that price, which most people didn't. The Mars Yard overshoes are enormous, with red snowboard-style buckles and a billowy waterproof white drawstring ruffle at the top. They are a statement piece for sure, one that seems to have begun with a question. What if an anorak was a shoe? At least 15 minutes pass as Deezus and Merrow kvetch about the recent trade that shipped the New York Giants star-wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. to Cleveland. Give me a guy that plays the right way, Merrow jokes. Enough with all these touchdowns. On it goes, just like always, to the point where a ripple of confusion begins to spread through the audience. Wait. Is this the show? Have they already started rolling? Do I need to put my phone away? Just when it seems clear that this must, in fact, be the show, the stage manager calls out, Okay, are we ready? She fixes Deezus and Marrow with a hard stare and explains that she's going to do a silent countdown from five. Do not start talking until I do this, she says, waving her index finger past the camera lens by way of demonstration. And then, finally, for a brief five, four, three, two, one, Jesus and Marrow are silent. It's Friday, and Jesus and Marrow are sitting and talking and making each other laugh. Yesterday was the Showtime series, and today is the Bodega Boys podcast, their long-running chatathon. Just Deezus and Marrow and two hot mics, which they record in a dim basement grotto at Milk Studios in Chelsea. The contrast with yesterday's surroundings offers a tidy shorthand for the decline in respectability as they shift from TV to podcast. Deezus and Marrow tapes in the same building as CBS Sunday Morning. The room where they record Bodega Boys looks like a heroin den and smells lightly of stale blunts. The walls are covered with old magazine clippings of topless fashion models. The ceiling, too. An eight-foot-tall stuffed dog sits in the corner, slumped and dead in the eyes, like an enormous, strung-out Snoopy. The sun seems very far away. Today is a big day in the Bodega Boys corner of the D&M multiverse, and they are eager to get to it. The anniversary of what has come to be known as the DJ Envy Ambush. DJ Envy is a co-host of The Breakfast Club on Power 105.1 FM, one of New York City's biggest hip-hop stations. A year ago today, Deezus and Mero stopped by the show to promote a comedy tour. Envy can get a little salty, and on this occasion he was fuming because at some earlier juncture, Deezus had made a wisecrack about his wife. So Envy came out swinging, introducing the pair with epithets, the more polite of which was dickhead. 
As the cameras rolled, The Breakfast Club also airs on YouTube, Deezus and Mero gritted their teeth, made jokes, and tried to calmly continue the interview. This seemed to only enrage Envy more, so much so that he walked off the set, leaving Deezus and Mero with no choice but to roast his empty chair. If jokes about Beto O'Rourke and visits from Ben Stiller are the domain of Deezus and Mero, the DJ Envy ambush is pure bodega boys, hyper-local and hyper-viral. The podcast is where they can keep speaking to listeners in the neighborhood, even as their TV audience expands to include older and whiter people who mistake the X-shaped arm gesture they're always making, a shout-out to the Bronx, for the one that means Wakanda forever. When Deezus and Mero make the decision to leap from Viceland, where they've been for nearly two years, Showtime promised not to tinker too much with a formula. Deezus compares the choice to that of baseball free agents, such as Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, who recently signed big contracts with new teams. The only difference, he says, is we went somewhere nice. Gary Levine, Showtime's president of entertainment, told me that the network hadn't necessarily been in the market for a late-night show, but Deezus's and Mero's names kept coming up. We want shows that are entertaining, he said, but also subversive. The prospect of a large corporation, like CBS, Showtime's parent company, hiring subversive talent, like Deezus and Mero, is always tantalizing, though not necessarily in the way the large corporation might hope. This particular week, the biggest story in America is the college admissions scandal that ensnared, among many others, the actress Felicity Huffman, whose husband, William H. Macy, is a star of Shameless, the longest-running series on... Showtime. There is practically no chance Deezus and Mero will avoid either the subject, it was a parade of white privilege, or the awkward coincidence. And they don't. This is very exciting for me, Merrow announced during the TV taping, bouncing in his seat. A bunch of rich white people got arrested. They rolled a clip of Huffman, and at the mention of Macy's name, Merrow yelped, Showtime, yah! While Deezus, with mock indignation, insisted that their own hands were clean. That other Showtime series, he assured the world, has no relation with us. Deezus and Mero are well aware that as their audience swells, it will include some white viewers who watch the show less for comic relief than for a crash course in wokeness. Or a hood safari, to use Deezus's phrase. The dynamic also works in reverse, though. Deezus and Mero is a sort of cultural Trojan horse, using laughs to slip past the gatekeepers, then, once inside, taking over the joint. Somehow, they managed to clown a chunk of their audience and enlighten it at the same time. Take me, for instance. I'm a 40-ish white dad who doesn't need to watch Jesus and Marrow to know what deadass means. But I've picked up some pointers about how to use it in a sentence. Not that I would ever try. This can be a fraught dynamic, of course. In the years since his heyday on Comedy Central, Dave Chappelle has talked about feeling eaten alive by the fear that he was helping white people laugh at black people. But Deezus and Mero don't see it quite like that. The thing of the show is, it should never feel like you're watching us, Deezus explains to me. 
What we want you to feel like is you're in the middle. You're participating along with us, Marrow adds. A lot of times, people watch this show and immediately hate it, Deza says. They're like, you talk too fast, I don't get any references, whatever. But you stick with it. All the time we have people who hated it, and now they love it. Comedians tend to have more demons than the average person, and Jesus and Marrow, who are 37 and 35, respectively, have had to work through their share. They grew up a few miles apart, Jesus in the Wakefield section of the Bronx, Marrow in Kingsbridge, then Throgsneck, and met in summer school, but didn't become good friends until years later, when Twitter brought them together. Jesus, the son of Jamaican immigrants, worked all kinds of lousy jobs in his late teens and twenties, including tech support for a pornography website, which required him to learn in exhaustive detail which types of sexual imagery were illegal in which countries. Marrow, whose family is Dominican, absorbed his father's cynicism about life in the Bronx in the 1970s and 80s. He was always very anti-establishment. I almost want to say anti-America. He was just mad at the country. And I was like, why are you so mad at this place? And then he broke it down for me. Marrow took the lessons to heart, and after brief stints at Hunter College, in the mailroom and IT department at Lehman Brothers, and as a special education teacher, the one job he actually liked, he started behaving badly. I was fucking wild, Marrow tells me at one point. I was just kind of like, I want instant gratification, I want to get high now, and I want to get laid now. I can get a job, work 12 hours a day, wait until Friday for a check, or I can just go to Connecticut, hit 10 CVSs, steal all the hydroxyzine they have. Jesus cuts him off. Okay, you're being very specific right now. Marrow dissolves into a giggle fit. Operation Shoplift! We got him! Today's episode of Bodega Boys goes on for more than an hour and a half. Somehow they manage to get laughs out of a conversation that begins with the Boeing plane crash in Ethiopia. Many things are said that cannot be printed in this magazine, or any other, and that might make even Showtime blanch. In fact, Jesus and Marrow splinter off in so many directions that they never once mention the DJ Envy ambush. Jesus and Marrow have just finished taping their podcast, and they are sitting and talking and making each other laugh. They are also pondering the clout they've suddenly accumulated. Their first guest on Showtime was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who represents the eastern part of the Bronx in Congress, and whose easy mastery of its vernacular only underscored the desperation of Republican attacks on her authenticity. Gillibrand, who appeared the week after my visit, won over Jesus and Marrow by being equally true to her own roots, which are in rural upstate New York. It didn't matter that she's not from the Bronx. What mattered was that she didn't pretend to be. She didn't pander. She was herself. It looks like she's just hanging with two people, Jesus says, and that's what we're going for. Already, the Showtime series is beginning to play a king-slash-queenmaker role among Democratic hopefuls, similar to the one played by Rachel Maddow's show on MSNBC. As of this writing, Cory Booker is up next.
Desus and Mero are giddy about these appearances. They know that if a candidate wanders on set with no idea what she or he is signing up for, that person could end up getting pantsed on national TV. We're going to be very upfront, Mero says. We'll be like, yo, fam, watch the show before you come up here, because you're not going to be able to come up here and be like, don't ask me about this. Say you come on the show like, oh, I want to reach out to millennials. Jesus jumps in and finishes the thought. You might look like a complete asshole. Sitting side by side in a pair of bucket seats ripped out of a scrapped car and planted beside a coffee table, they take turns answering what seems like a natural question. Don't you ever get tired of talking to each other? Mero tilts his head as if he's trying to think, but he comes up empty. He shakes his head. Nope, never. Once, during a gig in Boston, they went on so long that the theater owner had to intervene. He was on the stage, flashing a flashlight, Deza says. He was like, you have to get the fuck off the stage. These people have homes. They want to go home. Now, many of their contracts for live gigs include a stipulation fining them if they go on too long. It's the only way we'll get off stage, he explains, adding that their friendship has but one logical endpoint. We're going to get fused together. Just one big DXL suit, Mero jumps in, giggling. I don't know how your wife is going to feel about my sex life, though, Jesus says, dragging things into his favorite gutter. I gotta put the sheet up. And if the fusing doesn't take? Write this down, Jesus says. Both of us are gonna host The Price is Right. If you enjoyed this production, find the best long-form articles read aloud in the Autumn app, available now for iPhone.